0: Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's uh, it's a great day to be at church. It's a great day at New Life, and I am so glad that you are here this morning. And uh, you're all uh, the early birds. And um, I saw a little statement the other day that says, you know, the early bird may get the worm, but it's actually the second mouse that gets the cheese. I'll just let that ponder in there for a while, all right? But uh, I'm awfully glad you're here this morning. My name is Ron, and I want to welcome you this morning. Um, My task this morning is to lay out for you what's called New Testament Challenge, and and, uh, that's a great thing that a bunch of us are on, and so I'm going to lay that out for us this morning. And in order to do that, there's a couple things that you'll need to do. Uh, If you'll first of all pull out this sheet of notes, that is the teaching notes for the morning, fill in the blank style, and then you want to pull out the card that says, start here. And I know Kevin had you fill out a while ago the part that, that uh, where you put your name and your email address, that's extremely important for us to be able to partner with you this morning, so uh, make sure you do that, and then I'm going to refer to both of those as we work our way through um, the teaching this morning. I want to start with an observation that I've made in life, and I'm sure you have too. And it's the very first point on your teaching notes. You'll see it up here on the the screen. And that is, every challenge contains an opportunity, and every opportunity presents a challenge. You see, every challenge, including the New Testament challenge that we're taking, has in it this wonderful opportunity for growth and development and so forth. That's why we take on challenges in life because they have in that package of the challenge is a wonderful opportunity for something good but also every opportunity that we take in life will present us with a challenge or a reason for us to get distracted a reason for us to quit a reason for us to fall short or a reason for us to compromise what we set out to do and i want you to know the same is true of new testament challenge It sounds great to say, we're going to read every word of the New Testament in 12 weeks. And then when you sit down and realize that's like four or five chapters a day already, you see that that presents a challenge. But as you read those four or five chapters every day, you realize it also brings a great opportunity. And so the New Testament challenge is both a challenge and an opportunity wrapped up all into one. Now, let me let me show you something of a pie chart, all right? I'm going to so, write some letters up here. Anybody know what BFOB stands for? Those of you in the military are going, i never heard of that before. What's BFOB? Okay, here it is. Bang for our buck. Does that make sense to you? All of us are interested in bang for our buck. In other words, if we're going to make an investment, we want to make sure that that we get a good return on our investment. We want a good bang for our buck or value for the money we're spending. Well, I want to show you how New Testament Challenge fits into this. And let's just suppose that this pie represents 100% of our time over the next 12 weeks. Now, we're going to take one slice of this pie that represents 1% of the pie. By the way, if I come to your house and you offer me a piece that looks like that, I'm going to be mad, okay? Because that's not very much pie, correct? But here's the deal. That's 1% of our time. Did you realize that in the New Testament challenge, it takes the average person a little bit under 20 minutes in order to read the section of the New Testament that we're reading each day? I want you to think about that, a little under 20 minutes. That represents a little under 1% of your time. Now, what if I told you that by doing that with 1% of your time, it would greatly affect all the other 99% of your time and make it far better? Would you consider that decent bang for your buck? Wouldn't you like to be able to invest in the stock market 1% of your money and have it positively affect the other 99%? Of course, you'd do that in a heartbeat. Now, let's get out another slice of our pie. That's just marginally bigger and it represents an additional 2% of our pie. So we have 3% of our pie in total. Now that additional 2% is the time that it takes you to come to church each Sunday morning and to go to a life group and participate in it. That's not just time at church. That's allowing some time to get here, some time to go home. It's allowing some time to get to your life group and and to go home from your life group. So what we're laying out in the New Testament challenge is a total of 3% of your time. That will multiply because if you go to the life group and you come here every Sunday and hear the teaching, it's going to multiply what you're going to get over the 1% if you just read it. So what we're laying out for you is really a great bang for your buck. Now, how can I tell you that and say that to you with any form of confidence? Because I'm giving it to you on God's promise. I want to point you to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to work our way through a passage relatively quickly, but it has some really life-changing principles for us. Here's Here's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, All Scripture is inspired by God. I want you to circle or underline the phrase inspired by God and is useful to teach us. I want you to to underline is useful to teach us. And then he lays out several things. He says it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now there's a bundle in those few short sentences and I'm going to take a little bit of time to break it out. And We're going to start with the conclusion, which is the very end of it. And then we're going to go back and look at how he got there. So the conclusion is this, that God uses the Bible to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So every good work means that God is going to do something in our lives that enables us not to do a little bit of good, not to do some good, but to do what? Every good work. And then he uses the word equip. You can underline that word because what that means is that through the Bible, God is going to give us the tools we need in order to be successful in doing every good work. And then he backs up a little further and uses the word prepare. Because your heart is like my heart, I don't always want to do what's good and right. Correct? If you know me well, you know that's true. You don't agree too wholeheartedly because I said your heart was like mine, right? But the truth is, we don't always want to do what's good. And so God uses the Bible to prepare our hearts. So that we want to do what's good and then to give us the tools we need in order to be successful in doing not only what is good, but every good work that God calls us to do. That's pretty cool stuff. So how's God going to do that? Well, he lays out four things that God's going to do in our lives through the Bible. And here's the very first one. He's going to help us differentiate between what is true from what only appears to be true. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to have some divine guidance in that category? Yeah. All of us carry scars from the wounds we have received when we believed something or someone to be true and they turned out to be otherwise. Am I right about that? We've all been there. Yeah. So what God says is by reading His Word and learning His Word, it will sharpen our skill in learning to tell the difference between what is true and what isn't. The second thing He says the Bible will do for us is it will help us properly identify what's wrong in us. You know, sometimes that's even harder than the first thing we talked about. Because when it comes to our own faults and failures, perhaps no one is blinder than we. Correct? Very difficult to see that. When we read God's Word, it has a wonderful way. I put it like this. The Bible is like a personal MRI machine. Okay, If you read it, it will tell you what's going on on the inside, which is good. It's good to know what's wrong with us. Then the third thing is He will guide us through the Bible in making our wrongs right. See, it's one thing for me to identify what's wrong in my life, but it's quite another to know how to correct it. It's one thing to find out and to realize and to come to the understanding that I have this area of bondage in my life. I may be addicted to something or I may have an attitude in my life that I'm having a hard time shaking. It's one thing to know that it's wrong and it's quite another thing to know what to do about that and how to overcome it. Well, God says, I'm going to use the Bible to teach you how to correct what's wrong in your life. And then last of all, point number four, he said, is this, that I'm going to use the Bible to instruct us in doing what is right. Because walking with Christ and following Christ is far more than just correcting our wrongs and trying not to do anything bad. It actually is a whole lifestyle of doing what is good and right. And God's going to instruct us about that. Which is why, if you look at your life and you allow God to accomplish those four things in this 3% of your life, investing only 3% of your time, it will greatly affect and improve the other 97%. Which is why I want to say to you this morning, if you're not actively participating in New Testament challenge, it's not too late to get in. You can sign up today, get in, get in a life group, come to church every Sunday, because we're going to be walking through the New Testament, which is sort of the last half of the Bible. But I have a word for all 300 of us that are already involved in the New Testament challenge. Don't sleep your way through it. Can you say that back to me? Don't sleep your way through it. You could just mindlessly read the Bible every morning and check it off your list and wander into your life group and listen while other people chat and talk about stuff they're all excited about. And you could come to church and set your clock. You know, pastor's going to speak about 30 minutes if I'm lucky today. And I'm out of here. And if you do that, you know, you will have wasted that 3% of your life. Correct? Because it won't do you any good. So that's the deal. Now, this morning as I lay out the challenge... I want to take us to one verse only in the New Testament, and it's the very, very first one. The New Testament begins with the book of Matthew, and in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, here's the verse that we read. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Doesn't that sound like a great thing to talk about for the next 30 minutes? Most of you are looking at that and going, better you than me. I wouldn't have any idea what to say about that. Okay, I want you to underline only three words because we're going to spend the rest of our teaching time on these three words. Jesus the Messiah. Did you realize that that is the theme for the entirety of the Bible? Do you realize that every truth, every concept, every principle, every guideline from Genesis to Revelation in some way is built on that foundation and flows from that truth? Jesus the Messiah. So what does that mean? Jesus the Messiah. Well, we're going to peruse that this morning because it's very important for you, to, for you and me to know what it means. So I put a simple formula in your teaching notes there, and, and it, will, it begins like this, Messiah equals Christ, which equals anointed one, which equals appointed by God to a sacred position or office. Now let me break that out for you just a little bit. Messiah. We've all heard the word. If you've never heard, I know you've heard the word because Handel wrote a great musical called what? The Messiah, right? From which the Hallelujah Chorus comes and all that stuff, right? So we've heard the word Messiah, but most of us don't actually know what the word Messiah means. Well, Messiah is the Hebrew form of the Greek word Christ. Many of us have thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. You know, my name's Ron Hunt. His was Jesus Christ. Right? His dad's name must have been Christ. No, that's not how that worked. Actually, if it were properly translated in your Bible, every time your Bible says Jesus Christ, it would actually say Jesus the Christ. Why? Because Messiah, Hebrew word, Christ, Greek word, and they both mean the same thing, the Anointed One Now, if you don't know what anointed means, anointed is when uh, a man of God or someone who represented God took a container of sacred oil and poured it over the head of somebody that God told them to. And in doing so, it was a physical symbol that God was officially appointing that person to a sacred position or office. So the high priest in the Old Testament was anointed with the anointing oil, and thus he became the high priest for the whole nation. Every priest in the Old Testament was anointed and therefore appointed by God to that office. David the king was anointed and therefore appointed by God to that office. So when the Bible uses this term, Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus the Christ, it's It's actually saying that Jesus was anointed by God to a specific position or office. Now, we could spend the rest of the morning talking about what all that means in Jesus' life. But I'm going to break out only two because there are many positions that Jesus was anointed and appointed to, which is why he's called the anointed one, not just an anointed one, the anointed one. Uh, But there are two positions that rise above all of the others, and all the others are sort of subsets of these two. And these two positions are on virtually every page of the New Testament. They are, without a doubt, the recurring themes that go through the entire New Testament. And when you leave here this morning, I want you to know for sure that Jesus has been anointed and appointed to these two offices. And every time you pick up your Bible and read Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah, you're going to know what that means and you'll be able to apply it in your life. Okay? So here are those two offices. I'm going to say them to you, and then I'm going to have you say them back to me because I want them to sort of ring in your ears, okay? Jesus was anointed to these two offices, Savior and Lord. Would you say those words with me? Ready? Savior and Lord. One more time. Savior and Lord. Let's, exp- let's explore a little bit what each one of those means. Jesus as Savior presents us with the opportunity and the challenge... Of salvation. Now salvation is both. It's a wonderful opportunity. We're going to explore what that means. It's a wonderful opportunity. But I I would be remiss if I didn't tell you there was a challenge in salvation as well. It's not easy. It's not effortless. And yes, it's not even natural. Just like, was it natural to get up early this morning? For a few weirdos maybe. But for the rest of us, you know. It just isn't that natural to get up. But, but we got up because it's the right thing to do. It wasn't easy. It wasn't effortless. But it was good for us. And so we did it. So let's talk about the challenge that Jesus presents to us as Savior. Even before he was born, God made it very clear that one of the key purposes that Jesus would come would be to be a Savior. And we're going to read it directly from the Christmas story, which we'll explore in a couple of months. But let's read it from the Christmas story this morning. Here it is in Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah, you can underline that again, there it is. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what you want to see. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. Before Jesus was born, God said, time out, heads up everybody. Listen, get your eyes up, get your ears up. I'm going I'm to come to earth as Jesus and I'm going to be born and here's why I'm here. I'm going to save people from their sins. That has always been God's agenda and it always will be. That is the challenge that, that, that Jesus brings to us. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus laid it out like this himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can underline the last part. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, not only am I here to save, I am the only Savior. In other words, salvation isn't available anywhere else through any other means or through any other person other than me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you don't get there without me. Did you realize you could take the entire Bible and sum it up in three very simple statements? Here it is. Here's the message of the Bible in three simple statements. Take a look at the screen. We were created to live in God's with God as his family in his sinless eternal home. Got it? We were created to live with God as his family in his sinless. Now I had you write the word sinless in there because you need to know and understand that if God's home isn't sinless, it's not much of a place to be. Got it? It would just be earth recycled and maybe not recycled all that well. Okay, here's the second statement. We have sinned and our sin shuts us out from God's sinless eternal home. Because we are sinners, we can't get there. Because if God were to take us to a sinless eternal home, it would no longer be sinless, correct? It would just be like earth. That's a problem. Now, here's the message of the whole Bible, point number three. And that is Jesus the Savior is the only one who can re qualify us to live in God's sinless eternal home. That's big stuff. In fact, that's why the apostles said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the verse that's at the top of the video screens. They said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I'm going to pull over to the side of the road this morning, and I want to give us an invitation. And the invitation is an invitation that's been given now for some 2,000 years, and it's not really who's giving the invitation. It's God who's giving the invitation. And I can't give it on the merits of new life. I can only give it on the merits of Jesus Christ. Because here's the honest to God truth. Okay? One of the great things about coming to church is when you come to church, you learn all sorts of practical information that you can go home and apply in your life and it will actually change and improve your life. That's why many of you come to New Life. Because it's changing your life. And that's a great thing. But one of the dangers is because you're learning practical things and you're going home and applying them in your life, and your life is getting better, you can easily assume that because I'm doing better, I'm saved. But you think about that for a minute. I'm glad you're doing better, and God's glad you're doing better, but don't ever con- confuse or blend doing better with being saved. You, you read it with your own eyes. Is salvation found in doing better? No. Where's salvation found? Only in the Savior. Jesus is the only one who can re-qualify you and re-qualify me so that we can live with God as his family in his sinless eternal home. And so I want to give you that invitation this morning. And by the way, that's not something you sort of naturally slide into and think, well, if I come to church enough, you know, evidently I am a Christian good pastor friend of mine said, go sit in the chicken house. I don't care how many times you sit in there, it does not make you a chicken. (laughs) Got it? It's not by sitting in church that makes us a Christian. It's by making a choice that Jesus will be my Savior. Not just the Savior, He'll be my Savior. So if you've never officially made that choice, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to leave some gaps in that prayer And the reason I'm going to leave gaps in that prayer is I'm going to give you the opportunity to repeat that prayer in your head and in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit to God. As I lead you in that prayer, if you're ready to accept Christ and you know, you know, my life's getting better, but I've never actually officially taken care of this and even publicly taken care of it, then I'm going to lead you in doing both. So let's bow our heads and um, if you're ready to pray this prayer, you pray it with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that you have been anointed to the office of Savior. And because you are the Savior of the world, I come this morning choosing you to be my Savior. I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person and therefore unqualified to live with you in eternity. And I know, Jesus, that you are the only one who can qualify me so that once again I could live with you in eternity. Today, I am choosing to be your follower making you my Savior. I come to you For the forgiveness of my sin. I ask for it in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you made that choice this morning, I want to encourage you to take this card that I had you get out a while ago. On the side of it that says Connect Card, there's a place that says Apply Today's Teachings by... And right at the top, the very first option is accepting Jesus as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer and you accepted Christ for the first time today, I want you to to check that option for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's important that this doesn't just become a powerful thing in the moment and it doesn't change your life. We want to come alongside you and partner with you in that. So, if you check that box, you're going to get an email from us this week, and it's going to have some wonderful resources to help you get started right, and you'll be contacted by us so we can help you take that journey together. Now, I said right up front that we were, um, that Jesus was ordained and appointed to two offices. They were Savior, and what was the other one? Lord, let's take a look at what it means for Jesus to be lord because Jesus as lord presents us with the cha- with the opportunity and the challenge of daily surrender okay of ongoing surrender here's what the bible says and once again it's very clear Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Do you recognize that's a Christmas story right there? God becoming flesh in the form of Jesus. He goes on to say, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died even a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above other names. We actually sang about that this morning and used that very phrase, the name above all names. It goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Would that include anybody anywhere? That's everybody, right? And Every tongue should confess, here's what you want to underline, that Jesus the Christ is what? Is what? Lord. Lord. Yes, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I don't know how to state it any simpler than this. You know what Lord means? Lord actually means, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means one who is in a position of authority over others. In other words, I'm going to put it in plain English. Jesus calls the shots. Got it? That's what Lord means. Jesus calls the shots in life. So if I were to put this in a little lengthier phrase, here's how it would be. Jesus is Lord. When I acknowledge and come to understand and accept that Jesus is Lord, it means that I not only bow in His presence, it means I surrender daily To His will. It's an undisputed fact that every single one of us likes to get our own way. Am I right about that? Yes. And and we like to get what we want. And we want to do what looks fun, good, and interesting to us. But here's the truth. We are so blessed that Jesus is not only a good Lord... He is a perfect Lord. And that means whatever principles He's laid out in the Bible, in His Word, are actually better than the ones we would come up with for ourselves. Because the truth is, all you have to do is look around you, look in your own life, look in the lives of people around you, and you can see and observe with your own eyes that left to our own devices, we tend to take ourselves into places of selfishness and bondage. True? It is true. And in his lordship, Jesus calls us out of those places of selfishness and bondage and leads us into places of freedom and joy. He's a perfect lord. And so our challenge as we walk through the New Testament challenge, our challenge is going to be, as we read everything that is written in the New Testament, to embrace it fully, and to trust it. If you get out your Connect card, let's go back to the second option, the one under the one we just looked at. And it says, here's what I will do. I will surrender my will to follow every instruction Jesus has placed in the New Testament. I love the fact that you're checking that already, but I want you to know what you're checking. Okay? You just wrote a blank check to Jesus and said, you fill in the amount. Does that make sense to you? You said, whatever I read, I will do. I want to encourage you to do that, but I don't want you to do it thoughtlessly or mindlessly. I want you to understand that the opportunity is to grow immeasurably in Christ through the New Testament challenge. But the challenge in it is not to pick and choose the things that we want to do. The challenge in it is that we would allow God to direct us in whatever he directs us in, we will do. So I want to say a short prayer about that. Would you join me in this? Father, as uh, we have just prayed uh, for those who have received you as Savior today, we now pray for those of us who are recommitting ourselves to receive you as Lord in our lives. As we read through the New Testament and as we process it in our life groups And as we come here and hear about it in the teaching each Sunday morning, Lord, would you speak to us and would you give us grace to exalt you as Lord of our lives, not by just bowing in your presence, but by surrendering every day to your will in our lives. That we might become truly followers of you and not just people who wear your name. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. I have one more challenge to lay out before us this morning, and this challenge is a challenge. uh, The first two were individual challenges. I can't make either one of those choices for you. You can't make them for me. But this last challenge is a challenge for us as a church, and it's a very important challenge that comes out of who we are. Now, one of the thrilling stories that we've been reading about in the New Testament challenge is the story of that first church. On its birthday, the very first day of the church, we read about in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people chose to make the decision that we just talked about, the two decisions we just talked about, to make Jesus their Savior and their Lord. 3,000 in one day. It was a great day. I would say the church began with a bang. You flip over one page in your Bible and you find out that another 2,000 people had joined them in the next week or so. And so that first church had 5,000 people in the first week or less. It was truly an amazing time. And they met in the temple and then they met in their homes and reading on in the book of Acts, they met in lecture halls and one church even met down on the riverbank in the city of Philippi. It, it didn't make any difference where they met. they were, they were Wherever they met, they were the church and they had one mission and that mission was to proclaim the message to anyone who would care to listen that there was hope in this world and that hope came through Jesus the Savior and Jesus the Lord and that anyone who chose to make Him their Savior and their Lord could live forever in eternity in God's sinless home. That was it. That was the message. And that was everywhere they went, that's exactly what they did. Well, I'm excited to tell you that that same sort of DNA actually is in new life, has been from its very first day. Now, those of you who have come into the church in the last year or two or three might not even know this about us, but this place where we meet right now is actually the 15th different location that we have met as a church, okay? There aren't too many churches who could actually say that, right? It's the 15th different place. Why? Why? Because even from the earliest days, it didn't make any difference whether we were meeting in a school or the back room of a church. We even met once in the craft rooms over at Lucchesi. We crammed everybody in one craft room. I mean, we just had people everywhere. It really didn't make any difference. We were the church, and we had one mission, and our mission was wherever we would go, whoever would care to listen, we were going to share that Jesus was the Savior and the Lord, and through him there was hope in this life and in the life to come and we would encourage people to come and be part of that. I want to tell you this. I hope we as a church never lose that sense of adventure. Are you on board with that? You don't sound thrilled. Are you on board with that? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't ever want to be sleepy church. Okay? That isn't what God has called us to. We have a mission. It's got to burn in our heart and our spirit wherever we go. And that's what God has called us to. But here's the reality. We face a challenge today as a church that actually threatens that mission. And I want to lay it out for you as clearly and plainly as I can this morning. And the thing that actually challenges that mission is our mortgage. Okay? You say, how could our mortgage possibly challenge our mission? Well, here's real simple how that works. When our mortgage consumes so much of our resources... So we don't have anything left to actually do the mission and ministry of the church. Can you see how that at that point, the mortgage actually becomes bigger and heavier and more important than the mission? Okay. That's a very significant challenge to us as a church. So, our leaders, our paid staff, our spiritual stewards and our management team have been tracking that for a year and a half or two and have been working on that behind the scenes and so uh, especially over the last six to eight months we've been exploring various options uh, including how can we go out and get a mortgage at a lower interest rate that would bring our mortgage down to where it's much more manageable and so forth well in this post 2008 crash of the world financial market uh, If you tried to do any financing, you know that the stipulations right now out there in the finance world are pretty strict. And so what we have found in every time that we have gone out to get a lower interest mortgage, it's just not possible for a number of means. I won't take time to spell that all out for you this morning, but I will tell you this. I'm sorry, I took off my tag and gave it to somebody else. But you're going to look around, and you're going to see yellow tags. And the yellow tags are actually people who are on our paid staff, uh, spiritual stewards, or our management team. If you want to ask them why we haven't been able to get that lower interest mortgage, they can give you two or three reasons why. But we've tried many sources. Then we thought, okay, well, let's do a bond offering to the church. And, And so you saw that. We laid all that out. We put everything in place to do a bond offering, and we got to the very final step. And the final step of the bond offering came back from the California State Board of Corporations. They said, everything is a go. This all looks really good, except in this market, we have two stipulations to put on these bonds. Okay, and I'll tell you what they are. Number one, no one can buy a bond that doesn't have at least $70,000 of annual income personally. Okay? And number two, no one can buy a bond that's worth more than 10% of their total net worth. Okay? With so many people in our economy who are upside down on their house, what does that mean about their net worth? It means that their net worth is actually upside down. We took a look at that and we said, you know how few people in our church would actually be able to qualify? Yeah. So that's why when I said we withdrew the bond offer, we did because it, it, it had no possibility to succeed. So what do we do? Well, here's what we did. After doing all that work, we did exactly, well, before that too, but we did exactly what the church in the book of Acts did. We got all of the leaders together and we said, let's fast and pray. Because God has a plan for this. We don't know what the plan is. But that's how the early church did it. They were adventuresome, and whenever they didn't know the answer, they just fasted and prayed and said, okay, God, it's your church. We're here. We're here to listen. So that's what we did. And so three weeks ago, every single one of the people on our leadership team, um, we, we spent two days in fasting and prayer, and then we got together and said, what does God say? And two things came out of that that were very, very clear. And uh, we met upstairs in the conference room, and the first thing was this, that God had given us a wonderful sense of togetherness and unity about what to do. And by the way, when you put 11 or 12 people in a room... And, and you're looking at something like this, and you ask them all to give opinions, is it pretty rare that all 11 or 12 would give the same opinion immediately? That's pretty rare. Well, that's exactly what God did. In fact, we just went around the table, and, and the amazing thing was, there was no lengthy discussion, there was no, it was so clear that God had guided and directed us. And so, here's where God guided and directed us. Okay? And that is to restructure the finances of the church to put its mission back at the forefront. And that means that the mission has to be more important than its mortgage. Now let me put some facts and figures to that. Currently, a little over 75% of our tithes and offerings go directly to pay our mortgage. Okay? Are you aware of that? So those of you who are really good at math, if 75% goes to the mortgage, how much does that leave to pay staff keep the lights on and do ministry about 25%, right? That can't fly. Okay? And so we made a decision that starting in October, which is right now, that we would allocate no more than 33% of our church's budget toward the mortgage. Okay? From from this point forward. So what does that mean? In lay terms, it means that starting this month, we will default on our mortgage. Okay? We've already notified our lender, which is Church Development Fund. They're Christian people. We've already met with them. They sent a representative over on Thursday of this week. We spent some hours with him. They are wonderful Christian people, and, and they really want to work out a way for us to be able to remain here. That would be their heart's desire. Would that be our heart's desire? You don't sound convinced. Would that be our heart's desire? Yeah, it is. Okay? I can't tell you if that's possible yet. Even CDF cannot tell you that that's possible. Okay? Because we just don't know yet. So over the next several months, and they've let us know that it won't be before the first of the year but over the next several months, they're going to be working with us and we're going to be working with them to see if there's a way that we can stay in this building that will enable New Life to put its mission back where it belongs and get the church's finances reapportioned correctly and appropriately and, and not do too much harm to CDF. Because I can tell you, friends, they went way out of their way for us as a church. And, and if I were to lay that out before you, it, it's an amazing story. So having said all of that, I want to give you um, four things that our leadership really wants to convey to everybody here. And by the way, if you're here for the very first time this morning, or you've only come once or twice, um, I'm glad you're here, because you're seeing us as a community from the inside out. This is who we are. We are a people who love Christ, and we follow Him wherever He goes, even, even if it means surrendering to things that wouldn't be at the top of our list because that's how we follow Christ. So, the first realization is this. And that is what is most important to our church is not in jeopardy. Do you realize that? The mission that God has given us is that in jeopardy? No, it's not in jeopardy at all. In fact, I can tell you in many ways I've never been more excited about the mission that God has given us. In fact, There's a lot of evidence out there that God is working more mightily through us today than ever before. I can tell you just openly that the response to the last two teaching series has been phenomenal. People are sharing with me all the time. We're eating family meals together. We've never done that before. And we're actually having family devotions and it's changing our lives. And people are bringing me materials of things that they're reading and their devotions and so forth. And, and, and people are setting aside um, 15 minutes when they first walk in the door as husband and wife to, to debrief and, and to begin that intimacy that husbands and wives should have in the middle of the chaos. And over and over again, people are telling me how their lives are changing. God's at work in us. 300 of us are on this New Testament challenge. That's amazing. You know, Kevin just laid out a couple of weeks ago, hey, we put this New Testament blog uh, out there, and uh, did you know that in the first week alone, we had over 800 hits to New Testament challenge of people sharing what God's doing in their life through New Testament challenge? Right here in front of us, in the first 9 months of this year, 64 different people have been baptized into Christ. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah. That's almost two a week. Hell. Yeah. Earlier this year, we took 11 people, I'm 17 people to Mexico. And 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 11 of those people built a house that we as a church had paid for. And they built a house for a family that didn't have a house. And the other six people went to work in an orphanage with kids that have no parents. And you know, God's winding us up to go do that again. In fact, I want to encourage you on the way out. There's a kiosk in the lobby. You'll see it. It's got the big Mexico thing. 17 people have already asked for information about it. There's going to be a a maximum of 25 slots, and I've been told by Joe and Laurie Chatterton that means that we need about 40 people to sign up for information before it finally filters down, and we have 25 people who can go. I want to encourage you, if you're all interested in that and you feel God moving in your life, go out there, talk to them, get signed up, because that that trip's going to happen sometime in the spring, uh, but it's going to be a great thing, and we're going to bless some people. God enabled us as a church to take 11 people into India and we trained pastors and pastors' wives and worship leaders and, and, and um, private school instructors. And uh, we went to four different churches and we led worship and preached and, and, and taught people the gospel. It was an amazing time. But I want to tell you something. God's already stirring in us as a church. Okay? One of the churches that we led worship at and preached at is a relatively new church and they have a tiny little building and I want you to envision with me if you could this little stage that I'm standing on if you could envision a room that's about three times this big wouldn't be any bigger than that it's the only room that church has and they regularly put 65 people in it can you imagine 22 people with me on this stage right now and this is church who's going to lead worship there Anybody see me back there? Yeah. Well, you know what? I believe that God wants us to build a church building for those people in this coming year. And did you know as a church, we can do that? Are you ready for this number? We can do that for $10,000. We can build them a church building that will seat 200 people or more. Yeah. I can get excited about that. God is at work in us as a group of people. I want to tell you one other thing. Just last week, we wrote a check for $10,000 to our city. Why? Because we're cash rich? No. Over the last four years, we've really used up all of the cash reserves that we have. But you know something? Those of you who were here six years ago, when we went through a spiritual journey called Ready, do you remember we made a promise that whatever came in through Ready, 10% of that, we would give away to other churches and other causes and helping other people come to know Christ outside of this church. And part of that would be a blessing to our city. Yeah? Well, it's been through several iterations, but last week we were finally able to write that check. And we have. Compl- it's the final piece in fulfilling our commitment to tithe on ready. I hope you feel good about that. I feel great about that. <laughs> When you go to Casey Park, some of the stuff that they're building there is the result of that $10,000. They're currently trying to decide what to do with that, but it will be at Casey. So there you go. So um, that's the first realization that what is most important to us as a church is not in jeopardy at all. The second thing I want to say to us is this. Many of us have made huge sacrifices and worked very hard for us to be here. Even as I look at the audience today, I see people who have spent countless hours working on this property. I see people who have invested, yes, some people in our audience this morning have invested several hundred thousand dollars in this place. You know what I really see? I see blood, sweat, and tears. And I would tell you, for me personally, this is the hardest part of this challenge. It really is. I want you to know that every drop of sweat you put into this place, every dollar you've contributed, every hour of hard work, I want you to know how valued it is, how appreciated it is. I also want you to know it's been recorded in heaven and that a reward awaits you, whether God leaves us here or not. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, okay? The third thing is a little more sobering for us, and that is the, the, the sheer size of this campus indicates something. You see, it took a number of miracles for us to get in here. I want you to look around. Did you know you're surrounded by miracles? Look down at the floor. The carpet on this floor, that was a miracle. It wasn't in the budget. We never expected it. It was free, every square foot of it. Look up at the stage, the stage curtain that we pull across from time to time. That wasn't in the budget. It was never planned. It was simply a gift that we didn't expect. It was a miracle. Did you know that the, 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 the flooring that I'm standing on was also a miracle? I, I'm telling you, it's a true miracle. We didn't have money for a covering for our stage. So our stage was just going to be under, uh, you know, subflooring. And a guy that wasn't even a member of the church walked in one day and said, what are you going to put on that stage? He said, we don't really have anything in the budget. He said, well, what would you like to put on that stage? And uh, the construction guy was there, and he said, well, we'd like to put this on it. And he said, how much would that cost? And the guy said, you know, it's about $1,800. He said, I brought my checkbook. I'll just write it out right here. And handed us a check for $1,800, which is why I'm standing on stage covering and not subflooring. Every piece of equipment in the kitchen, the lights that light up the stage, all the office equipment, It was all a gift. It was all unexpected. It was all a miracle. Now, listen. Here's what I want you to see. It took many miracles for us to be here, and it's going to take a miracle or two for us to stay here. Does that make sense? Okay? And I want you to know that. God's not out of miracles, but I also want you to know this. Okay? And this is the part of it that we have to own. And this is the sheer size of this campus would indicate that God did not give this campus to us. He didn't entrust it to our care as a tool for 500 of us to enjoy. Okay, He could have given us something half this size for 500 of us, correct? Yeah. I want you to clearly hear that God gave us two goals when we moved in here. And it's important for us to own our part of this. The first goal was that we would reach an increasing number of people for Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the church to reach people for Jesus. Not just a few more, but many more people for Jesus. In fact, the original goal he gave us, by this time, we as a church should be running 750 or 1,000 people instead of the 500. And I bless God for all 500 of you. Please don't take that bad, okay? All right? Don't, don't take that as a, as a put-down. But the truth is, Where 500 people sit this morning, 750 or 1,000 should be sitting inside the name of Jesus being blessed by Jesus. And we haven't done that. Okay? The second thing is, God gave us a goal that within three years, we would be a church that supported its mission purely and simply with tithes and offerings and not by special offerings and campaigns we have also not reached that goal. Now, I could get out the whip and crack it, okay? but that's not really why I'm here. Okay. As I bring what I'm going to say to you to a close, I actually wrote it down, and so I'm just going to read this portion of it to you. The question of the day is this. Will we respond in a way that moves God to leave us here in this building for His kingdom? Or will he move us to a different building that puts our mission back above the building? I don't know the answer to that question. I know the answer I prefer. But I have also prayed that we will respond in a way that brings another miracle from our loving Heavenly Father. I have also prayed that if God knows he could accomplish his mission better through us and more effectively by moving us, then I have officially told him I'm ready to go. No matter how much I love this place and no matter how much I've invested in it. I do know this. I'm excited to put our church's finances back in a position where we can start doing effective ministry again. Can you get excited about that? Yes, I can get really excited about that. Yeah, I could even clap about that. Thank you. Um, And I do know this, that whatever, wherever he takes us, even if he leaves us right here or takes us somewhere else, we will be his people his church bound together in love and unity doing his work together in this city now hear me carefully no building or church campus should ever define us does that make sense to you no we are the church okay god's work through us is greater than any building or campus this is not a save the building at all cost speech it's a clear call for each of us to pray and seek God as he calls us to bring the full tithe and follow as he directs. Because to be honest with you, okay, I'm laying all the cards on the table, if you look at the national research for all kinds of churches, the truth is churches our size usually have a higher annual income than we do. Okay? I love you, but that's where we are, and I have to tell you that, okay? Going on, if he works through our lender to work out an agreement where we are allowed to stay here, fine. If he does not, and we are forced to move, then I believe God has his hand in that as well, okay? So the key is for us to focus on the mission God has given us, pray, And then follow as he directs and to do it all in complete unity and togetherness.